The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Karen Lumley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Karen Lumley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. What does my right honourable friend say to the teachers at Vayner First School who are putting the education of the children first and the welfare of the parents by not striking tomorrow? Well, I would congratulate them for doing the right thing and for keeping their school open. I don't believe there is any case for industrial action tomorrow, not least because talks are still ongoing. Now, it is only a minority of unions who have taken the decision to go ahead and strike, but what I want to see tomorrow is as many mums and dads as possible able to take their children to school. And what I would say to this is what I would say is this what we're proposing is fair. It is fair to taxpayers, but it's also fair to the public sector because we want to continue strong public sector pensions. Ed Miliband. Mr. Speaker, Speaker, there are currently 163 statutory organisations within the National Health Service. Can the Prime Minister tell us how many there will be after his top-down reorganisation? What I can tell the Honourable Gentleman... I can tell the Honourable Gentleman is that the, the health reforms that now have the support of the Health Minister, Lord Darzai, will see a reduction in bureaucracy because we're getting rid of strategic health authorities and we're getting rid of primary care trusts. Ed Miliband. Let me give him the answer to the question, Mr Speaker. The number is going to go up from 163 to 521. Pathfinder Consortia, Health and Wellbeing Boards, Shadow Commissioning Groups, Authorised Commissioning Groups, a National Commissioning Board, PCT Clusters, SHA Clusters, Clinical Networks and Clinical Senates. Mr Speaker, is this what he meant by a bonfire of the Quangos? If he looks at the figures of savings, he'll see we're saving £5 billion through the reduction of bureaucracy. That is what's happening. What we inherited was a situation where the number of managers was going up four times as fast as the number of nurses. What's happened since we took over? The number of doctors has gone up. The number of bureaucrats has gone down. I'll tell him about our record on the NHS. More doctors and nurses than ever before. The shortest waiting lists ever. And, and the highest patient satisfaction ever. Now, now uh, he, he says it's going to save money, but he's refused to publish the figures accompanying the new amendments to the Health Bill of how much he's going to spend. But, but maybe you can tell me this, because these figures are available. How much is he going to be spending on making NHS staff redundant? Well, let me give him the figures on let me give him the figures on the costs and the benefits of reducing the bureaucracy. This is the question he asked. This is the question he asked. This is the answer he will get. Changes will have a one-off cost of 1.4 billion over the next two years, but over five billion pounds will be saved in total during this Parliament, and over a ten-year period there will be net savings of 12.3 billion pounds. Now add to that the fact that we are putting 11.5 billion pounds extra into the NHS, and he fought the last election pledging to cut it. He didn't answer the specific question I asked, which was how much is he spending on making NHS staff redundant? The answer is 
852 million pounds being spent on making NHS staff redundant. Now, can he guarantee this house that none of those staff will be rehired to do their old jobs at his new quangos? What we're doing is implementing. Yes, implementing the £20 billion cost savings that were set out by the party opposite when they were in government. But the difference is we're going on with putting more money into the NHS, money that the party opposite doesn't support, so there will be more nurses, more doctors, more operations in our health service and a better NHS compared with, compared with cuts from the party opposite. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, let me just ask the question again because he didn't answer it. People are very concerned. He's creating a whole new set of quangos. Will he tell us? Will he tell us this simple question? Can he guarantee that none of the people being made redundant will be rehired to do their old jobs at his new quangos? It's a simple question, yes or no? Well, I, I know that he. Uh... I know that he has this, this extraordinary vision of how the NHS is run, but it's not the Prime Minister who hires every person in every organisation in the NHS. The difference between this coalition government and the party opposite is we're investing in the NHS, putting resources into the NHS, reforming the NHS in a way that's supported by the Royal College of Surgeons, the Royal College of Physicians, Tony Blair, Lord Darzai, most people working in the NHS, but not by the party opposite. Order, the decibel level is for order. The decibel level is far too high. The Prime Minister shouldn't have to shout to make himself heard. Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, the whole country will have heard that he has admitted they're spending £850 £52 million pounds on making people redundant, and he can't even promise they won't be rehired through their old jobs. And, and isn't the truth, Mr. Speaker? He promised no top down reorganisation, he's doing it. He promised the bonfire of the Quangos, he's creating more. He promised a better deal for patients, and things are getting worse. What people are asking up and down this country is what is he doing to our NHS? What, what the whole country will have noticed is at a time when people are worried about strikes, he can't ask about strikes because he's in the pocket of the unions. What, what, the, whole country, what the whole country will have noticed is at a time when Greece is facing huge problems over its deficit, he can't talk about Greece because his plan is to make Britain like Greece. What, what the whole country will have noticed is at a time when the economy is the key issue, he can't talk about the economy because of his ludicrous plan for tax cuts. That's what we see week after week. He has to talk about the micro because he can't talk about the macro. We're very grateful. Guito Beb. I appeal to the House to calm down and reflect on what the public thinks of this sort of behaviour. Guito Beb. Would the Prime Minister agree, would the Prime Minister agree with me that Anirin Bevan would be turning in his grave as he sees a Conservative Secretary of State increase spending on the health service in England, whilst the Labour government in Cardiff cuts spending on any NHS? friend has an extremely good point and I hope, uh, I hope it's in order Mr Speaker to talk about Labour's record in Wales because that is, um, 
it's in order to talk about Labour's record in Wales. Because what we're seeing, if anybody wants to know what would happen to the NHS under Labour, they can look at Wales, where they are slashing the NHS budget, and they're actually seeing more people waiting for longer. That is what happens when you get a Labour Party running the NHS. Ian Lucas. The leader of the opposition's feed-in tariff helped create 300 more jobs at Sharp in Wrexham earlier this year. But today, because of his government's reversal of policy, the Renewable Energy Association say that solar generation and the jobs and growth linked to it are in turmoil. Who knows better, him or British business? I think anyone looking at what this government is doing in terms of renewable energy can see a massive investment in renewable energy. The three billion pounds going into the Green Investment Bank, the massive incentives given under the Renewable Heat Initiative. But what we did have to do was to stop the abuse. We had to stop the abuse of solar power where clearly the, 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 the regime was not set in the right way. But anyone looking at this industry can see a huge boost from this government. Sir Peter Tapsell. Despite the gravity of the financial situation against which the Bank of England is preparing contingency plans, has the government also got a team working on the details of a new treaty if, as seems probable, the European Union has to be considerably changed? Can I first of all say, on behalf, I believe, of the whole House, uh, to the Father of the House, what great pleasure it gives me to refer to him as the Right Honourable Gentleman, after his many years of of service in this House. What I would say to the Honourable Gentleman is we have quite rightly used the opportunity of the new treaty change being put forward to protect Britain's interests and get us out of the bailout mechanism for the future. Of course, if new proposals come along, we could use that opportunity again. But I think right now, the priority must be to work for stability in the Eurozone, not least because 40% of our exports go to Eurozone countries. And Britain is playing a constructive role in making sure that happens. Does the Prime Minister agree with the Deputy Prime Minister that the idea of introducing a marriage tax allowance is patronising drivel? (laughs) The the Deputy Prime Minister and I... um, The... (laughs) The Deputy Prime Minister and I agree about many, many things, uh, but it's actually set down in the coalition agreement. This is one area where we don't agree. I'm a strong supporter of the institution of marriage. I do believe it would be a good idea to recognise it in the tax system. Andrew Sanu. Last week, six illegal migrant workers were arrested in my constituency, all of whom had national insurance numbers and were paying national insurance. Why can't we prevent illegal workers from being issued with national insurance numbers in the first place, or at the very least, flag those national insurance numbers so the tax authorities and the border agency know that these people are not allowed to work? Yeah. Yeah. 
My, my honourable friend makes an extremely good point, and I've discussed this with him. I mean, as he knows, the application process for national insurance numbers for adults does include an identity check and the precondition that the individual is entitled to work. But nonetheless, as his case demonstrates, national insurance numbers shouldn't be issued for those with no entitlement to work, but this is happening, and we are looking very closely at the idea of marking national insurance numbers in the way that he suggests. McGovern. Thank you, Mr Speaker. At a time when the NHS is under financial pressure and people in Wirral are being hit by steep rises in prices, please will the Prime Minister tell me if he agrees with his friends on that side of the House who think costly tax breaks for those who can choose private health care should be a priority? The short answer to that is no, I don't agree. Speaker, the Prime Minister uh, will be aware that core inflation for small business is at its highest level for three years. Will the Prime Minister recognise that problem, but especially tell us what more he can do to increase demand, which remains at best very sluggish? Well, I, I tell the honourable gentleman, my honourable friend, what we have done to help the economy. Obviously, this year, a key problem for small business is the cost of fuel, and we've cut fuel duty, abolished the escalator, and put off the RPI increase to next year, making the difference of around six pence per gallon. That makes a difference. We also, with the banks, have the Merlin Agreement for extra lending to small business. We've also cut corporation tax for small business. We've helped on business rates for small business. This is a very small business-friendly government. Austin. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Four years ago, the Prime Minister said that the extremist organisation, Hizbut Tahrir, should be banned immediately. Yeah. He, he promised to do just that on countless occasions in this House, elsewhere, and even in his election manifesto. Why has he not done what he promised to do so many times? And will he go back to Downing Street and ban this organisation today? We have taken action against the extremist group, uh, the Tikriti Taliban, and we have banned them. We're looking extremely carefully at Hizbut Tahrir. In my view, what they have said goes well beyond what a legal organisation should say, but this has to be done under the law. Blackman. Mr Speaker, given that Lord Hutton, the former <coughs> Labour Pensions Minister, has described the current position on public sector pensions as completely untenable, would my right honourable friend agree? that it's unacceptable for a small minority of trade unions to be disrupting uh, the position tomorrow for thousands of people across this country. I think my honourable friend is absolutely right, and clearly this is the issue they simply don't want to talk about on the other side of this House. It is a small minority of unions that have gone ahead uh, with action. I think it is irresponsible. I don't believe it's fair, and I think what we are proposing is fair. He makes the point, quite rightly, that it was Lord Hutton, a former Labour minister, who's written an extremely good report, making the simple point that as we live longer, which is good news, we are are going to have to contribute more to public sector pensions and indeed work for longer. But as I just let me stress, the reason we're doing this is not in any way to undermine public sector pensions, but to safeguard good defined benefit systems for the future. In my view, there is a contract between taxpayers and public sector workers saying you work in the public sector will support you in old age, but it must be sustainable. Dodds. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Is the Prime Minister aware of the concerns that have been expressed about the new arrangements for the repatriation of the bodies of our servicemen and women repatriated from overseas killed on active service following the new uh, transfer to Bryce Norton. 
And can he tell the House what arrangements and facilities will be put in place for the families of the bereaved at Bryce Norton and to allow the public there to express their condolences and respect to our fallen publicly? Now, I'm, I'm well aware of this issue, not least because Bryce Norton is in my own West Oxfordshire constituency. A lot of thought has gone into how to uh, do this in the right way, and a lot of care and thought will go into how to uh, look after the families, as the Right Honourable Gentleman says. I think it's also right that we should mark uh, the passage from Wooden Bassett, soon to be Royal Wooden Bassett, to Bryce Norton, and that will be done as well. Menzies. Mr Speaker, my, my constituency of Fylde is proud to be home to Wheaton Army Barracks, but after so many years of loyal and brave assistance, isn't it about time that we did the right thing for service personnel and gave them priority when it came to housing? Yeah. I think my honourable friend makes an important point. Uh, we have put the, the, the military covenant into law for the first time, and that is very important in making sure that military personnel are not discriminated against. But I do think it's right for every council to look at what they can do positively to help those who serve our country. That is certainly what my local council does in West Oxfordshire, because of Bryce Norton, I'd encourage others to do the same. And in terms of government policy, obviously we have the new policy of First Buy Direct, where we're helping first-time buyers onto the housing ladder, and I'm pleased to see that the housing minister is actually making sure that this policy is taken round to the different army and other military bases to make sure that military personnel can take advantage of it. This week is the first anniversary of the Backbench Business Committee. Over the last year, does the Prime Minister think that Parliament has become better at holding the government to account? And if he does, can we offer our help um, to unblock some of the legislation that's stuck in the legislative pipeline? Um, well, first of all, let me congratulate the Backbench Committee uh, over the last year. I think it has made a difference in Parliament. I think it's quite right that actually the House of Commons can choose to debate a subject of its choosing on a motion of its choosing uh, at a time of its choosing. I think that is right. Uh, it has discussed a range of issues from, from the very mundane to the quite obscure. It has. If you like, it's been a year of bread and circuses. There we are. I, I, I got it out. I think it is a good idea. I want to see it go on working. And I would like to take a little bit of credit that it was this government that gave up the power and allowed this to happen. Anne-Marie Morris. Thank you, Mr Speaker. People in Devon earn around £2,964 a year less than the UK national average. Yet our average water bills at £517 is the highest in the country and well above the national average of £356. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the third option outlined in the recent DEFRA consultation on water affordability, suggesting a government subsidy of around £50 per household for the South West, would go a long way to righting this unfairness? This, this issue of uh, excessive water bills in the South West has been an issue for many, many years, and I'm proud of the fact that within a year it is this government that has decided to grip it. We are determined to lower water bills of households in the South West. We pledge that in the budget. We'll set out our proposals in the Water White Paper, which will be published in November. Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The crisis at Southern Cross has raised fears about the viability of the residential care sector. So, will the Prime Minister inject some urgency into his government's review of companies that provide care services? We need a belt and braces plan to stop the elderly worrying about the place that they call home. 
I, th I think the Honourable Gentleman makes an extremely important point, and many of us, myself included, have care homes in our constituencies run by Southern Cross and are extremely concerned about what has happened and what is happening. What I can tell him is that the Health Department and the Treasury and the Business Department are following this extremely closely. We do have powers being taken in the Health Bill to make sure we regulate these organisations properly. Local authorities have the necessary powers to take over the running of care homes if necessary. So I believe we are planning for all the contingencies in the correct way. Health on. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And given the high cost of petrol, which is crucifying motorists in Harlow and across the country, will my honourable friend support the Fair Fuel UK campaign and urge oil companies to reduce petrol prices at the pump in line with market prices and review the three pence increase next January? Well, I want to see every chance for lower prices to be passed on to the consumer. What the government has done is certainly taken its necessary measures, the 1p cut in fuel duty this year, the putting off of the RPI increase, the abolition of the fuel escalator that the party opposite put in place. All of those things will make a difference. Also, we took part in the release of oil stocks together with the Americans, which has actually seen the oil price come down and ease somewhat. But we need to make sure we have a good competitive sector that passes on price cuts right through the country. And William McRae. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As the review of the air passenger duty continues, will the Prime Minister accept that there is an urgency about the situation, especially in my own constituency of South Antrim with the Belfast International Airport, given that the APD is levied at £120 on a long-haul flight when our competitors in the Irish Republic has simply a levy of three euros? That endangers the continental airlines link between Northern Ireland and New York something urgently must be done now. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely understand the point the Honourable Gentleman makes, and I know that with Belfast International Airport in his constituency, it's of personal concern to him. I do understand also, when I went to Northern Ireland, people explained to me the importance of maintaining that air link direct between Northern Ireland and the United States, absolutely vital for the long-term economic health uh, of the province. So I want to see this happen. My right honourable friend, the Chancellor, has spoken to people in Northern Ireland about it. We are reviewing the options and we'll make clear a path forward. Streeter. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, my right-hand friend will be aware that our colleague Lord Bates is currently walking from Olympia in Greece to London, a journey of some 4,000 miles to raise awareness of the Olympic truce. Uh, will the Prime Minister ensure that when the United Kingdom Government uh, tables its resolution for observance of the Olympic truce to the United Nations General <coughs> Assembly later on this year, that we will add to it specific proposals for peace and reconciliation so that we will maximise this historic opportunity. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure the whole House will want to congratulate Lord Bates for his uh, great feat. This autumn we will be promoting... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. Accidental. Uh, apologies for that. Uh, we'll be promoting a fresh resolution at the United Nations calling for the continued observance of the Olympic truce for the 2012 Games. We wish to make the most of this historic opportunity and we're considering other international initiatives to promote the spirit of the truce. And it says here the Foreign and Commonwealth Office are engaging with our embassies worldwide. Diana R. Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Won't parents up and down the land be horrified to know that under the government's proposals in the Protection of Freedom Bill, a person convicted of raping a child will not automatically be put on the barred list from working with children in the future? Oh. 
What we have done in terms of vetting and barring is remove a huge number of people who aren't a risk to children, but we do want to make sure that the system works well so that anyone who has, as she says, criminal convictions is barred. Dr Julian Huppert. Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister believe that drugs policy has been failing for decades, as he said in 2005, and does he agree that the Government should initiate a discussion of alternative ways, including the possibility of legalisation regulation, to tackle the global drugs dilemma, as he voted for in 2002? Um, I, I don't believe that we should be legalising any drugs that are currently criminal, but I do believe that drugs policy has been a failure over recent years. I think there's been an insufficient attention to the two key areas, education on the one hand, warning young people about the dangers of drugs, but also treatment on the other. I think one of the ways to collapse the drugs market is to have a more effective treatment system, and I think in this country particularly, we've spent too much time on heroin replacement and methadone, rather than actually on trying to get people clean and clear up all the things in their life that perhaps caused them to take drugs in the first place. Tom Clark. Mr Speaker, has the Prime Minister himself been involved in seeking a solution to the appalling problems in Sudan, especially in South Kordofan, and given the United Nations concern about 60,000 people being displaced, as well as other huge humanitarian problems, Will he use his influence on the eve of independence to ensure that North and South are seen to work together? Well, I think, as the right hon. Gentleman knows, we are deeply involved in trying to seek a successful outcome to this process. We fund a lot of the AU talks process that has been ongoing. My right hon. Friend, the Foreign Secretary, has visited the country, as has the uh, Africa Minister. I think Britain has done a huge amount to try and make sure that the CPA is fully implemented and there is a peaceful settlement between the two countries. Clearly, there is a lot more work to do, and yes, I keep a personal uh, perspective on this issue as well. Alok Sharma. Speaker, uh, what does the Prime Minister think is more fair and progressive, the Coalition Government's policy of safeguarding defined benefit pension schemes in the public sector, or Labour's £100 billion smash and grab on private pension funds, which contributed directly to the demise of defined benefit schemes in the private sector? I think my honourable friend makes an extremely good point, and I note, 20, 26 minutes into question time, not a squeak from the party opposite about strikes or about pensions or about the need for reform. They simply, because they're all paid for by the trade unions, they can't talk about this issue. What? What the coalition government doing it doing is right because what we're saying we want to have a defined benefit system in the public sector. We want to make sure all those accrued rights are kept, and those accrued rights you will still be able to take at the age you were originally allowed to take them. And just to put it beyond doubt, too, for those people currently in a final salary scheme, when they get those benefits, the accrued benefits, they will be based on their final salary, not the final salary now or when the reforms go through, but the final salary when they retire. There's been so much myth and misinformation put around by some of those in the trade unions, it's important to put it on the record here in the House. I've effort. Compared with the same period last year, crime overall in London is up, including a 15% rise in robbery and an 18% rise in burglary. At the same time, the Mayor for London is budgeted to cut 1,800 police officers. Is this the right time to be doing this, and will the Prime Minister get a grip in London? Well, first of all, the point I would make is overall crime is falling. It is falling, according both to the British Crime Survey 
and the police uh, recorded crime statistics. We're doing a huge amount to help people right across the country, including in London, to deal with crime. The publication of crime maps, the introduction of police commissioners, making sure uh, that we have the proper powers necessary. And perhaps because he's a London MP, let me bring him up to date with Operation Target, which is running at the moment in the Metropolitan Police. On average, 1,200 officers deployed every day. There have been 4,000 different activities, 2,000 arrests, and it's early days, but there has been a drop in offences from week to week for most serious offences, violence with injury, knife crime, street robbery, and residential burglary. The fact is, they don't like to hear an answer when it shows the police are doing their job. Order. Prime Minister's questions is principally for backbenchers. Mr. Graham Evans. To Mr. Speaker, on the 8th of June 1944, a relative of mine, Sergeant Jack Chadwick, was shot down while dropping much needed supplies to the French resistance. Today, Mr. Speaker, he lies in a Normandy churchyard together with a seven man crew of his Halifax bomber. It is my right, Honourable Friend, the Prime Minister, agree with me that it's right and proper that this nation should remember the sacrifice of 55,000 members of Bomber Command who gave their lives to rid Europe of Nazi tyranny. Uh, I do think it's absolutely right that we remember those who served in in Bomber Command, and I recognise that there's a lot of work going on to make sure that is done, and that work has my support. And let me also say, as someone who visited uh, one of the Commonwealth uh, War Graves cemeteries in Normandy recently, it is a brilliant thing how well they are kept up and the huge amount of work that goes on to make sure that relatives can visit to see their, their fallen heroes. Pamela Nash. Thank you, Mr Speaker. During the last Labour government, millions of pensioners in this country, including my grandmother, who's in the gallery today, saw their quality of life improve vastly with measures such as the Winter Fuel Alliance, pension credits yeah. and the free bus pass. What message does the Prime Minister have for these women in this country who are now seeing their daughters have to work harder and longer for less money and some of them having less time to uh, prepare for the later state pension? What I would say to her constituents, indeed what I'd say to all pensioners, is this government is actually reforming pensions so that we're going to be paying a more generous state retirement pension. Because of the triple lock, someone retiring today is going to be £15,000 better off over the rest of their life than they would have been under the plans we inherited. Linked into that, we've kept the free bus pass, we've kept the free television licence, we've kept the other free pensioner uh, benefits, and I believe we're doing fair by Britain's pensioners. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister alluded earlier to the tax, the contract between taxpayers and public servants. Well, there's a contract between taxpayers and MPs as well. Does he agree with me that we should be in the vanguard of reforming our own pensions so we can look our public sector constituents in the face? No, I, I absolutely agree with the Honourable Lady. In this House, we are public sector workers as well, and we should be subject to exactly the same changes we're asking others uh, to take on. So the increase in contribution should apply to the MP system, even though it's a system where we already pay in uh, quite a lot. We're saying right across the board, the increase in pension contributions is right to create a healthier long-term system. Order. Statement the Foreign Secretary... For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.